If you will, take your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. Last Sunday morning, we began a series of messages entitled Life's Important Questions. Last Sunday, we dealt with these questions, and, we're, and all these questions are in the Bible. Last week, we began with Elijah. Sunday morning, it was how long will you tarry between two opinions? Sunday night, it was God asking Elijah, what are you doing here? This morning, we're going to move to another very important question because life is full of important questions. And when you get to biblical questions, you seriously get to questions that have an eternal impact on our lives. Nobody likes injustice. Over the last several years, there have been several public trials for which we didn't understand the outcome. Hello? In fact, we've got something going on in Ferguson, Missouri right now. To me, it kind of resembles Jerusalem. Because whereas I may have disagreed with the verdict, the outcome, one thing's for sure, folks, I didn't have all the information that the people with boots on the ground had. Are you all with what I'm telling you? It is unfortunate when someone is killed. It is equally unfortunate when someone is convicted and they're innocent. If you remember the old novel, To Kill a Mockingbird. How many of you remember that? Most of you don't remember it as a novel. You really remember it as a movie. But But the theme was around this courtroom where a black man had been accused unfairly, of raping a white woman. And as he stood in that, in that courtroom, he was facing a jury that was highly prejudiced and really basically already had their minds made up. Today, we get to the backdrop with that kind of thought. We get to the backdrop of our story today. Before we get to reading Let me just remind you, Jesus came and he lived and he walked for three to three and a half years with his disciples. He healed the sick. He gave sight to the blind. He fed the multitude. He taught the masses. He even raised the dead. And he showed patience for everyone. Well, almost everyone. You do realize that the people that he didn't have patience for was the church-going people, the religious people, the religious leaders, the, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin. In fact, he told them in no uncertain terms his opinion of them. And he was talking to those who felt like they were entitled, if you will. I want you to think about that. The church leaders of the day are the very ones that are standing here in Jerusalem wailing charges and stirring up the crowd. I mean, think about it. Jesus came to this earth 
sent by his Father in heaven to offer us a connection back to the Father in heaven, a connection that's been broken since the Garden of Eden. He came and he was going to offer us forgiveness. He was going to offer us cleansing of sin. He was going to offer us new hope, new life, new help, and a new future. And the people who were angry at him were the people sitting in the pews and standing behind the pulpit. Now, when we get to our text today, we find Jesus in Jerusalem. He's already been betrayed. He has now been brought before Pilate. He's kind of like the, to kill a mockingbird, and he has this prejudiced jury. Or if you really want to know the truth, and I'm not trying to tell you how to think about this, but for me, when I see Jerusalem and I see Ferguson, I see the same type of thing going on. The decisions made before the facts are in. He is standing beyond in front of this crowd that's been whipped up into a frenzy by the religious leaders. And now he's brought before Pilate. And the, and the crowd and the religious leaders wanted Jesus dead. Pilate didn't want anything to do with it. But he was one of those weak leaders. He was one of those appointed leaders. And he didn't want Rome coming down on him and unseating him. And so here's what we discover. Matthew 27. We'll pick up reading in verse 22. If you will, stand to honor the reading of God's holy word. Pilate said to them, verse 22. Then, here's our question. What shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? And they all said, let him be crucified. And he said, why? What evil has he done? And they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and he washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I'm innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, his blood be on us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. A message entitled today, What Will You Do With Jesus? Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you will take this important question and that you will so deal with it in our lives that we can see ourselves in this story and see the decision that you called us to. Father, we need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We get here today and we discover Pilate standing before the crowd. The crowd wants Jesus to be executed. Pilate knows better. What will he do? What could he do? What should he do? But before we get into the story and we talk about the answers to this question, let me ask you a question. As you stand before God, even today, he asks you, what will you do with Jesus? What have you done with Jesus? In a very pragmatic sense, I want to offer you two 
Two possibilities today. First of all, I want to ask you, I'm going to answer that question with a question. First of all, will you do what's popular? I mean, that's what they did in Jerusalem. That's the dilemma Pilate faced. I mean, think about his position. He stands before the crowd with this prisoner Jesus. He, has the, he holds in his hands the power of life and death. People are killed at his words. He is judge and jury, if you will. But you say he is judge and jury. But Dr. Luke tells us in his passage that three times Pilate walked out and he said, innocent. Are you all with me? Innocent. I find no fault in this man. Three times. Should have ended the course. If you want to go further, look back in chapter 27 and back to verse 18. And it says, for he, Pilate, knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered Jesus to him. You see, even the wording tells us that the mob or crowd wanted Jesus dead. Case closed. This is important because the popular opinion in this country today, right now, is Jesus dead. We really don't want to be bothered with Jesus because we've got so much good stuff going on. So if we're going to do what's popular, let me just tell you two things that I see that they did that maybe we're doing in America today. The first thing that you can do, if you're going to do what's popular, you can reject Jesus. You can just reject him. That's what the people in Jerusalem did. I mean, they listened to their leaders, the one that they thought, they thought... Where it was godly, they allowed their leaders to exercise control over them, and, and they rejected Jesus. And all of a sudden, the crowd became a mob. And the mob, I, I tried to think about what that would be this week, Don. A majority of betrayers. Mob. Majority of betrayers. Because it don't matter what the facts are, we just simply want our way. I read this week when I thought about majority of betrayers and the majority of this crowd wanted Jesus dead. I, I read this week that sometimes the majority only means that all the fools are on the same side. You know what? The majority of people in this country today are rejecting Jesus. People outside the church reject Jesus. They reject who He is. They reject what He stands for. They reject what He did. They, they reject what He wants to do. But you get into this culture, you know what you discover? That Jesus is the dividing line. Oh, preacher, will you come and pray for whatever? But it's in public now. So you can't mention Jesus. I'm going to tell you this. I'm kind of like... Phil Robertson, if Jesus is not welcome, neither am I. But this country in large measure is just turning their back on Jesus. You see, when we, when we reject Jesus, it determines. When we come to Jesus, let me say it this way. When we come to Jesus, it determines who our friends are. It determines what our life is about. It determines which way we're headed. And it's a decision that has heaven and hell in its hands. But folks, that's outside the church. 
But I wonder if inside the church today we're rejecting Jesus. Oh, we know what he says. We know what he wants. We really know what he's called us to do and to be. And it's not a matter we don't know. It's just a matter that we ignore him. You see, he's either going to be number one in our lives or he's going to be nothing at all. He doesn't come in to take part of your life. Take in, he doesn't come in to take part in your life. He comes to take over your life. He doesn't come in to take part in this church. He comes to take over. And, and the Bible says, in fact, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my words. And if you don't keep his words, you've rejected him. That's the litmus test. What will you do with Jesus? Will you reject him? Or will you do like they did in Jerusalem? Will you replace him? Replace him. You know, they, they, when you read down, the reason I read so many, so many verses, I read about four or five verses, but I wasn't going to read but one. But when I got to looking at it, they replaced Jesus in their community, in their lives, with a man named Barabbas. Kill Jesus! Let Barabbas go! I'll say it again, but I just want to get this in our minds, that when we let Barabbas go, we have let evil go. We've let a murderer go. We've, We've let an ungodly man go into our lives, and we have now chained up Jesus. Condemned him to, to death, and, and we've raised, we've raised to a new level things in our lives to replace Jesus. Oh, Brother Jerry, <clears throat> is it that big a deal? Well, yeah, it really is. Most of you who are members here know that I think that the big sin in America today is idolatry. We have taken and replaced our Lord in our lives with things that aren't bad. They make, they make fun hobbies, but they make horrible lords. Last week... As the service was over, a couple of you folks mentioned to me that, you know, Kevin Ham's a friend of ours, and I think we've got some members of, of First Gardendale. Kevin Ham's a friend of ours and a good friend of mine, and they'll mention a video, and then I go home, and my wife says, you need to see this. She had taped it, and so I emailed Wendy on Monday, and I said, Wendy, can you tell me where you got that from? And so she told me. And I thought, I'm going to get this, and I'm going to have it for next year sometime. And then I got to finishing this message. And replacing God in our lives, replacing Jesus in our lives has become such a pastime that we don't even recognize it. So, would you direct your attention to the screen and let it shock you just a little bit? I was watching TV the other day, and this show comes on with these religious fanatics. They were crazy. Well, you would think they were crazy if you didn't understand their culture and their religion. See, that's just the thing. They were worshipers of idols, and they took things to extremes. They painted their bodies. They wore these ridiculous costumes. 
They chanted, they danced, they, they made sacrifices to their idols. But they had built these enormous temples to worship their idols in. It seemed like their entire existence climaxed into this one scenario, this one over-the-top act of worship. You don't really relate, do you? Let's try it again. I was watching TV the other day, and this show comes on with these religious fanatics. They were crazy. See, that's just the thing. They were worshippers of idols, and they took things to extremes. They painted their bodies. They wore these ridiculous costumes. They chanted. They danced. They, they made sacrifices to their idols. They had built these enormous temples to worship their idols in. It seemed like their entire existence climaxed into this one scenario, this one over-the-top act of worship. Idol worship. It's not just about golden calves anymore. It's not the first time that we've broached the subject. I want to be clear for those who visit with us. There's nothing wrong with football, car racing, golf, or anything else until he becomes your God. Until your entire life centers around that one God. And it don't even have to be sports. Anything that stands in the way of you and our Lord, now you've replaced the Lord with him, with it. You say, well, Brother Jerry, you know, that's not me. Jesus is first in my life. Oh, really? So are you telling me that Jesus gets the first place of your schedule, the first place of your money, the first place of your energy, the first place of your efforts? Or does he get what's left over? What would you do with Jesus? What are you doing with Jesus? What have you done with Jesus? Will you simply follow what's popular? Or the second question, will you do what's prudent? Don't you like that, prudent? That word prudent is not something we use today. Teenagers are probably laughing inside. Thanks for not laughing outside. We don't know what prudent is, but here's what it is, and it's a very important word. We should use it. It's acting with or showing care and thought for the future. It's one of the reasons that I am so taken with what I heard just a couple of weeks ago, that we need to, as a church, Invest all our best resources, all our best teachers, all our best facilities into those under 18 so that we can train the next generation. Brother Jerry, I don't believe that'll work. Well, fine. Don't believe it. I heard, I was taught, I was given this by pastor of Second Baptist Church, Houston, Texas, Ed Young. They have, they have used this philosophy to reach and baptize people. And over the last 36 years, Second Baptist Houston, Texas, has grown from reaching 300 people a week to where they have 65,000 members. You see, the truth is, if we do what's prudent, we will prepare 
for the next next generation. You see, doing what's popular is not is not prudent. And it's not being wise, it's not being careful, it's not providing for your future. The popular thing today is, take the path of least resistance. And I read a, I read a statement this week, that the path of least resistance is what caused rivers and men to be crooked. I'll offer you two options. You see one of them up there. If you're going to do what's prudent, first of all, you receive him. John wrote these words. He said, As many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God. To receive Jesus into your life is to receive who he is, to receive what he has done, to to receive why he came, to receive what he wants to do, and to recognize that he died on the cross for your sin, that he rose from the grave like the trio just sang. That you can be justified before the Father. You receive Him. And you know what happens when you receive Him? He'll come into your life. And He'll give you a new heart. He'll give you a new life. He'll give you a new direction. He'll give you a new hope for the future. In fact, folks who don't like new don't like Jesus. Because everything Jesus is going to do to you is going to be new. When you receive Jesus, He comes in and He does forgive your sin. He does cleanse your life. He does give you life to the fullest Right now. And then promises you a place in heaven. But you've got to receive Him. How do you do that? It begins with a prayer. I believe that deeply. It begins with a prayer. You express your belief in Him. You express your trust in Him. You ask Him to come into your life. You ask Him to change you. You ask Him to forgive you. You ask Him to direct you. You ask Him to walk with you. But folks, please listen. Part of the problem inside the modern day traditional established church is that too many people have stopped right there. We invited Jesus into our hearts and our lives in a prayer But we never chose to follow him, which is the second thing that I would suggest to you, that you release him. That you release him in your life. If you know Jesus, if you've invited Jesus into your life, release him. When you go back to the story, you know what you discover? You discover that they released Barabbas and they caged up Jesus. They released in among them the evil and the wickedness, the murderer, the one they couldn't trust. And they traded him for the one that they could trust. Some of you say, Brother Jerry, you saying we leave God in our chains? Well, yeah, I do. Oh, Brother Jerry, now here comes the deep theologians. You can't chain up God. You know who he is. Well, yeah, I know who he is. And if you want to play that card, that's fine. The sovereignty of God countermands everything man has to know. Watch this. God spoke this world into a being, into being with a word, and he can take it out with a word. He can do whatever he wants to. But for some reason, please listen, check me out. For some reason, God has chosen not to operate like that. In fact, Jesus went back to his hometown to teach and heal and bring his ministry of restoration and his ministry of healing and his ministry of God to his hometown of Nazareth. And both Matthew and Mark tells us this, that he came back to Jerusalem and he could only do a few miracles because of their lack of belief. 
You see, when we don't believe Him, we chain Him. In a real sense, we need to release Him in our lives. I'm going to go out on a limb here. Some of us don't release Him in our lives because we're actually afraid of what He'll do. He's going to make me stand on my head down at the altar. No, He's not. He's automatically going to send me to the lower side of Slobovia. No, he Well, he might. I can't say he wouldn't, but. You see, you see, when, when we release God in, his, in our lives, all of a sudden we get what he wants, not what we want. We get what he desires, not what we desire. We get his direction, not our direction. And I'll just tell you just personally. And it's a lot more fun to do it his way than it is our way. You know what I wonder? I wonder if the very reason that the modern-day American church of God has lost so much influence, I wonder if it is because we're keeping God chained up in our lives and we're not releasing him. God, you can touch this, but no, you can't touch that. God, you can do this, but you can't do that. God, I'll give you Sunday morning, but you can't have Sunday night, and you surely can't have Wednesday night. God, I will. I, you, you can have everything you want, but don't touch my pocketbook. I just want to say this to you, everybody. He's already touched your pocketbook. You see, when we release God in our lives, things get fun. You know, some of us don't want to be don't want to be seen as a fanatic for God. Well, you know what a fanatic is? You saw them on that screen. A fanatic is a fan with an attitude. And I'll just tell you, you can go to any college, and you can find fanatics for that college. Can you go to any church and find fanatics for our Lord Jesus? When we release Him in our lives, He begins to walk daily with us. He begins to do things through us. We begin to build our lives around Him instead of trying to add Him into our lives. That's another message for another time. But too often today, what we try to do is add Jesus into what we already got going on. And quite honestly, there's not a person in this room that needs one more thing in your life because your life's too busy already. What you really need to do is we really need to change the center of our life, the God of our life. And then we need to start building our lives around what our God is. Because whether you know it or not, we have built our lives around what our God is. What will you do with Jesus? Will you do what's popular and reject him? Replace him? Will you do what's prudent and courageous? And receive Him into your life and release Him through your life. And if you'll trust Him, folks, please listen. A couple of things happen if you trust Him. If you really trust Him and you release Him in your life, a couple of things are going to happen. First of all, you're going to find more joy than you ever knew what to do with. The second thing that's going to happen, watch this. Those heavy burdens that you try to carry alone, He'll carry them for you. He'll do the heavy lifting. In fact, I read a story this week, and I end with this. A lady named Brenda was invited to go mountain climbing. She'd never been mountain climbing. So she was afraid. 
But she went with her group. They went out of this place that had this granite mountain that they were going to climb. And she got on all the equipment and everything. Took a hold to the rope, gloves and everything, and climbed up 150 or so feet up. Still a couple hundred feet to go, but she got to a place to rest. And as she started to relax, the rope came and popped her in the eye and popped her her, uh, uh, contact lens out. Could I get a witness? That's terrible. Now you're hanging 150 feet down, 150 feet up, and you're blind. And so um, she told them what happened. They crawled on, they got on up, climbed on up, and um, when she sat down on the ledge, she said she looked out over the uh, mountains and she said, you know, and the verse, came to script, the verse of Scripture came to mind that said, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro over all the earth. And said in her frustration and in her fear, she said, Lord, I know that you can see every inch of this mountain. And said, I know that you know where my um, contact lens fell. Would you help me? Well, when the rest of the climbers got up there, they looked all over to make sure that the rope didn't just pop it and get stick on your clothes or what have you. And so then they started making their way to the bottom of the hill. And when they got to the bottom of the hill, a second group of climbers were going to climb. And one of them hollered up and said, Anybody lose a contact lens? And sure, it was hers. And they said, you're not going to believe how we found it. Said, as we were coming up, we literally saw an ant who had that contact lens on his back. (laughs) And was uh, making way with it. Well, Brenda's daddy was a cartoonist. And when she went home and related the story to her, he... He painted a cartoon, and the, and the caption was something like this. Lord, it had the ant with the contact lens, and it said, Lord, I don't know why you want me to carry this thing. I can't eat it, and it's awfully heavy. But this is what, if this is what you want me to do, I'll do it. What will you do with Jesus? Because if you trust Jesus, if you receive him, and release him in your life. He will carry your heavy burdens. He will lift you to the point that you've never been lifted before. He will save your soul. He will save your life. He will give you everything you need in life. If you reject him, you're on your own. What will you do with Jesus? Let's pray together.